Today is February 1st, and this is episode three of Hard to Kill. Okay, welcome back to Hard to Kill. This again is Jeff Allgaier, and I'm here with my wife. Hello, everybody. I am Katie Allgaier. Uh, first off, we uh, hopefully have figured out some of these audio issues. I know a lot of people that have listened to this have commented they like the content, but our audio is less than ideal. So I have been getting some expert coaching from a friend of mine, Aaron. You know who you are. Thank you very much for all your input and your expertise. And I do hope that uh, going forward, this will sound a little better with less drop-offs and audio cutouts and all the other stuff. So uh, again, this is still a you know, podcasts we're doing from our home, so hopefully the content outweighs the quality, but... It's a work in progress. We're working on it, so... Yes. Uh, let's start with, uh, do you have any kind of recent things in the news this week you want to talk about? Well, lots of things in the news, as you all are aware, I'm sure. I picked out one thing um, that is um, of interest to me. Um, Pfizer today, most likely is expected to ask the FDA for um, an emergency use authorization in the babies ages six months to five year realm, according to the New York Times. Um, so there's that. And my big question with that is, what is the emergency in this age group? Because according to the CDC, I pulled up um, from the CDC's website, uh, the COVID data tracker on that data tracker page. If you go to de demographics and scroll down deaths by age group of COVID, if you lump the, the kids from zero to 17, it is literally less than 0.1% of deaths from COVID. Um, so I would really Again, love to know what the emergency is to authorize a shot to hopefully prevent death or serious complications of COVID in this age group. Anybody? Yeah, and I think part of that is there's a, a couple things that jump out. And I think even with you, Katie, and all of the listening that you've done to the FDA advisory panel and all that stuff. I mean, there's even medical doctors on that advisory panel that were very hesitant on uh, approving this for not even young kids, but not even the age group we're talking about now, but even teenagers, it was, they yeah. were kind of sketchy on authorizing it, basically saying like, we want to authorize this, uh, but only for use in people that might be high risk that need it. We, we hope this is not one of those things that actually gets, you know, implemented that all kids need or all kids do that this is, we're going to, pardon me, approve it, but it's going to be approved for. They approved it. So then that path got passed along to the ACIP, um, which is an advisory council to the CDC. So the FDA advisory council said, yes, we will, we will approve this, um, trepidatiously if that's a word um with the assumption or the hopes that the cdc won't put a blanket um um recommendation that they would just limit this shot and recommend it only to the vulnerable populations in the age group well of course that didn't happen 
Um, it is recommended. Pediatricians are recommending every kid in the age group gets it. So it's, it's to me anyway, it's mind boggling. Yeah, I think, and this is where, if we go back to the purpose of this podcast and, and you know, a salutogenic mindset being hard to kill, it, the point is, is um, I think for those listening, hopefully we're all of the same mind that these decisions need to be made by individuals uh, based on circumstances and not just done in a blanket fashion. I hope that I've had patients ask me about this vaccine right at the start of COVID. And my answer to that always is it's a risk benefit analysis. And I do think that the problem with this younger and younger thing is that the risk from COVID wanes drastically as the younger you get, but the risks of the vaccine seem to amplify the younger you get. We have, especially with things like myocarditis. And so who knows what, you know, what happens to these and maybe nothing, I doubt it, but we don't know. The point is, is like, are we willing to take that risk to prevent something that is in kids? I mean, for the vast, vast, vast majority. And this is not to say that there haven't been kids with severe reactions to COVID, but there are kids that get severe reactions to a cold, too. I mean, yeah. it happens. And so we have to be, you know, without being inhumane or unhumane or whatever the term is you know to the rare circumstances where these things happen then the question would be if it is that case what are the other things that we can be doing maybe instead uh, to actually boost the human body to make it less likely that we do have a severe complication to COVID, etc so anyway that is that is a current event and and uh you know, we all want whether you think every kid on the planet should be vaccinated uh, for COVID or whether you don't think anyone should. It, you know, I think we all we can all agree that we want healthy, safe kids. That's not the question. The question isn't let's just take more risks. It's a matter of where are we putting our faith in the risk? Where do we think the risk is happening? What is the biggest threat risk? Is it COVID? Is it the reactions from a vaccine? Is it long term consequences? We just have no idea about. Um, these are all very good questions. They're questions everyone should be asking. So mm -hmm. I, I have a lot of patients who who have talked about getting demonized for even asking these questions. That's insane. Yeah. So that's literally insane. If you if 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 we're not asking questions about everything, including everything that you and I are saying, and just blindly accepting, uh, I mean, we everyone's been wrong about everything at some point. And so you should yeah. be. My first kind of nature is skepticism. Uh, you know that more than anyone. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm assuming basically that no one knows what they're talking about until they can prove that they do. Uh, and I think that's a really smart, safe way to go, especially, yeah, I mean, especially with something like this. So anyway, that is in the news. We'll watch that and see yeah. what happens with that. But And my one final thought before you move on to your topic is just what whether it's a vaccine or any medication, the, the question we need to be asking ourselves is what is the health benefit of what I'm about to do? And and especially when it comes to this particular vaccine, it just seems like people are taking this for things other than a health benefit. Yeah, to, not to everyone, them. but I think most people that yes. we know, and maybe we have a biased group, but most people that we know that have been vaccinated got vaccinated because they were afraid of losing you know their job yes their ability to travel yes. something whatever. else that had but, nothing to yeah. do with health it was well we were supposed to go on this cruise so we need to get vaccinated and i think that is 
you know, what kind of world do we want to live in where, and I, so there's, I got two points to this. Number one, what kind of world do we want to live in where our ability to actually participate in society is limited by a medical procedure yeah. that we didn't get to decide? And number two, even if you don't think it's a big deal, if we go down that road, this is not to shame anyone that's done this. I just think we these are things, these are consequences that we need to think about. If we just go along with this, so I've got family in Canada and 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 you know crossing borders is a, is certainly an issue and and uh with or without vaccines of course there's you have to delay you know you got to quarantine as you cross borders all this sort of stuff anyway the point is is like if we just go along with well i'm going to do this so that i can cross a border or that i can go see a loved one or i can go on my cruise what we've just done is given them permission to make these rules and enforce them upon people to participate in society, whether they or not have done a medical procedure. I guess the point is, is if you give a mouse a cookie, yeah, right. Like, what's to stop this from happening again in the future? So, I don't trust that this isn't a one and done. This is a special circumstance. I feel like everything that happens, like, I don't feel like in history, humans have ever really gained back any freedoms. of their rights yeah. or freedoms without a violent revolution. And certainly we don't want that. Uh, the point is try not to get rid of them or not try to don't get rid of them in the first place. Right. Yeah. We have to be, we have to protect that. Uh, get your vaccine. If you want to get the vaccine, no one's forcing you to not do it either. I wouldn't want to live in that world where you don't get the vaccine, right. where you don't have access to something like that. That's bad. Also like, you know, everyone's, able to make their own decisions based on the available data and everyone's circumstance is very different. Yes. So anyway, um, which does bring us to your topic you want to bring up. Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple last two, two weeks ago, we talked about, you know, kind of this whole concept of testing healthy people for COVID. And, and we talked about maybe the different leagues and it. And literally the day after, I think we recorded that podcast, the NHL just came out and said that they were dropping the requirement of testing on, just ran regular testing for on their healthy, uh, you know, not asymptomatic, I guess, hockey players. It's just interesting to see. I think you said, maybe we talked about that last week, but you said the NBA, you know, now is accepting, you know, n natural, natural immunity, immunity yeah. as immunity, which is logical and shouldn't happen, of course. So there are glimmers of, you would think our post-secondary institutions, our, our institutions of quote-unquote higher learning would be able to be the first ones you actually using logic and reason in all of this, but sorely they're uh, you know lagging behind the NHL and the NBA, and the NBA. <laughs> uh, in this case. But that's good to see. Good to see some people starting to wake up and go, okay, this is actually affecting normal things more than it is actually helping to prevent bad things. So uh, good, good for them. Uh, we've got the Freedom Convoy. In the great white north uh where i hail from and i gotta say this is the first time in quite a while that i have been proud to be canadian it seems like uh there's been a lot of weird things happening up there with free speech and and with freedom of choice and everything like that but if you haven't you aren't aware of what's going on there's kind of a massive uh, convoy of trucks i think what fifty thousand. yeah uh, that started in bc and they drove cross country to ottawa which is the capital mm -hmm. if i'm not mistaken uh to uh lovingly and peacefully uh protest against mandatory vaccination we were talking about this this morning, and I think that, again, I know we've talked a lot about, we literally just thought, I was like, maybe we shouldn't keep talking about COVID and the vaccine, because there's lots of other topics, which we will get to, but yeah. uh, we did talk about this morning that 
certainly this is something that I think, I don't care what your stance on the vaccine is or any sort of medical intervention. I mean, this goes back to the concept we were having last time. I mean, this is something that everyone should get behind. I mean, I, I don't understand the logical reasons, because there aren't any, to be frank, uh, where we mandate something like this. Um, and we were talking that, you know, one of the big, I think, important values out of this is that we make decisions based upon principles and not circumstances. Meaning, um, so we know, for instance, like you can argue that, okay, so this is the argument that I've heard from mandatory vaccinations, that listen, unless everyone gets vaccinated, this thing is going to continue to spread. First of all, it hasn't really panned out. So the vaccine has not necessarily slowed down the spread of this thing at all. Possibly we could argue that there are, you know, we can talk about severe infections and deaths as protection, but if we go down that road now, which is where everyone is shifting, that's a personal thing then, certainly. I mean, that totally takes away the any sort of logical argument for mandating this. If we, if we want to go down that road of mandating things that are beneficial for us, I got into this with a patient um, in my office. So we know, for instance, that females that are over 38 years old have a significantly higher risk of having a baby with Down syndrome, right? So as a public health measure, because it's better for public health that we have healthier people, should we sterilize these females so we, we have a less risk of having a child with some sort of a genetic disorder? And the answer that I got from the patient was, of course not, that's ridiculous. And I said, yes, agreed. The principle here, so if we just base it on the circumstance, that's gonna change with every direction the wind blows. We have to reassume or have to re-decide whether it's appropriate in this case to mandate something versus not mandating something. The principle is, is that we have individual self-control and liberty over our bodies, our health. You're allowed to smoke even if it's the stupidest thing you could possibly do, right? We give you that right to smoke. We let you, you can buy as many sodas as you want. You can buy as much alcohol as you want. You can never exercise. You can sit in your basement, never move. Your body shuts down. We'll probably even give you checks to do it, right? But that's okay for some reason. The principle here is that we either have health freedom or we don't. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to live in a world where we don't have health freedom. So I don't care how we feel about an individual topic. I think chiropractic care is one of the greatest things that we can do for ourselves. I will be the first per if they tried to mandate chiropractic care. So automatically I have to start adjusting your kids. You have no choice into that. You should be concerned about that even though getting your kids adjusted is a brilliant idea. The point of someone else deciding that you bring your kids in to get your kids adjusted, not you as a parent, is insane. Mm -hmm. And so if you're making this decision and going, no, Dr. Jeff and Dr. Katie are crazy here. We definitely need to get these kids vaccinated. They should not have a choice. They should not be able to, to go to public school. Just know that that table can get flipped on you in a second, and all of a sudden your kids can get pulled out of school because their BMI is a little bit too high. Mm -hmm. Their IQ isn't quite where it's supposed to be, right? Their mm -hmm. dental health isn't quite what they're supposed to be. They've got a skin allergy. So why don't we just take all the kids with skin allergies and, you know what I'm saying, eczemas and lock them in a room somewhere. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so this is where having a principle in place and making a decision based upon a principle and this doesn't just apply for health. This is how we should be living our life. I mean, we should be making decisions based upon our principles. And if our principles suck, they need to change, right? I mean, sometimes you can update a principle as you learn new information, right? It's yeah, you absolutely. update your priors and you can 
you figure out a better way forward, but you still make decisions based upon principles, not on circumstances, not whichever way the wind blows that day. I think that that is a really smart thing. So because if we are living based on circumstances, what is what's going to be the litmus test to get back to quote unquote normal? Um, there's always going to be a looming pandemic threat or uh, the next variant around the corner. And there's always going to be this sort of sense of, of fear if, if what we're going off of is, is the circumstance. Right. Yeah. So that was that. Uh, we do have one more thing. I think we have seen a in different magazines like this came to my attention so about a year ago it was february 2021 there was this article that was released by it was cosmo in britain that talked about um you know basically it was a picture of a gal on the cover who was by all intents and purposes obese and the quote was basically something like this is the new healthier something to that effect um and since then, there's been in I've had the articles pulled up, which I can share some of them. Uh, I think in the name of body positivity, which is a noble, I have no problems with body positivity, and we're going to get into this in a second. But um, we've had this continuing slew of redefining what health is based upon what is common versus what is actually normal and or good for us. Uh, and so we see this kind of all the time now in different magazines like Shape and Self and some of these other magazines. And again, it's done out of this concept of, of body positivity. And I think this is really important to understand. So um, it, it seems like whenever we try to do something good in society, we always really take it way too far. <laughs> and it's like, we, you know, we have this concept of going, yes, we... Our value as a human is not based upon your health. It's not based upon how skinny you are. It's not based upon how fat you are. It's not based upon how many muscles you have. It's not based upon how you look. It's not based upon your IQ. In our view, value as a human is a God-given entity. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something that we can improve upon. It's not something that we decrease. God says that we're valuable, period, end of story. Mm -hmm. You may not agree with that, uh, you know, but I think that's a... As a starting place, that's a pretty safe way to, that's a pretty safe and healthy place to be. That we all have inherent human value independent of what we look like, how healthy we are, etc. So, good, that's a topic that we should be discussing and that's something that we should be teaching our kids. What we don't need to be teaching our kids then is that in order for you to feel good about yourself, what we need to do is redefine. So, we need to stop shaming people that are outside of the healthy realm, whether it's too skinny or whether it's too fat or all those other things that I mentioned. But we need to separate human value from that because health is something that, listen, if we're carrying around too much weight or too little weight, I don't care if you're a model and trying to starve yourself, uh, that's not healthy either. We need to be, health is the goal. Normal physiologic function is the goal. And when our bodies are actually in the range of normal, healthy, physiologic function, we are able to, we have more energy, we sleep better, we think clearer, the body works better. We are better equipped to carry out the purposes that God has put us on this planet for uh, when we're, you know, healthy, when we're in the right shape. So the point is, is like, we're going to get into some of this stuff about where we've gone wrong, I think, with, with health. In my opinion, this whole shift of of body positivity and, and maybe redefining that being overweight 
is this new norm. new norm, new form of being healthy, has so much more to do with our population increasing in that. And when you're a magazine for where your whole life you've been selling skinny people and there's very proportionately less skinny people than there are overweight people, we start to redefine the metrics of our target audience and let's make them feel good about the situation that they're in instead of trying to help them get out of that situation, of course. So again, this is not about, we. I think you and I both don't disagree with the concept of human value and how you feel about yourself shouldn't come from some sort of metric. It's an inherent God-given thing. However, if we just go down that road, then why don't why, why do we get upset when people die from cancer? Five out of six Americans die early from heart disease and cancer. Eighty percent of Americans um, will live with some sort of chronic disease. So, is that going to be the new normal now? Where it's like, yeah, just you're. I mean, although I guess we are trending in that because I have seen an aspirin commercial that talks about, you know, taking aspirin for your everyday headaches right which is if you have headaches every day that is not normal okay this is a fire alarm going off in your body once a week or however often you're having it that there is some sort of malfunction happening in your body uh, which we can talk about in another podcast uh but this sort of normalizing uh what's common yeah common is not for the benefit of you and it's not for the benefit of humanity certainly and so i think we need to snap out of kind of this again it just in my mind it's just like it goes back to this just weird illogical like it's like we've lost this ability to just reason and t- and take an idea about what we need to it's what we need to be teaching kids what we need to be teaching ourselves is again not to look at other people and judge them by or or devalue them as a human based upon some sort of factor it has nothing to do with it you know but we we have to somehow lump all these things in together i don't like I often say that humans are the smartest, the stupidest smart people, the, the stupidest smart species around because we do, it's like we just can't get one thing right. It's like we have to just overreact and yeah. you take one good thing and multiply it by five bad things and I don't know, lump it all together. So, uh, so let's do a better job of that. Let's, let's do a better job of understanding that, um, that our value as a human species is not based upon skin color, of course, it's not based on IQ, it's not based upon weight. Now, based upon gender, there is something above and beyond that that uh, that gives us value as humans. Uh, however, that doesn't mean that I think we should just lay roll roll over and die and and you know not try to better ourselves while we're here on this earth or be satisfied with cer- certain certain things. And I do think I mean I think that there are people that are overweight that are actually in way better shape than skinny people. But but when we talk about health, we're not. And, and this is I think the other side of this is. Um, we have such as I think generally we have a very narrow view of what health is uh, that you you know you can make the argument and we know the differences between subcutaneous fat and visceral fat. So when you have more subcutaneous fat, which is kind of fat that lives under your skin and is spread generally throughout the body, that that actually is the more of that you have, especially as you're in the elderly age, the more protective that is against early death. Where visceral fat, which is fat that gets stored centrally in your body it's the it's the big belly belly. yep phenomenon we see that a lot with guys that that's very telling of early death Mm -hmm. and so you know there we just need to be much more instead of redefining this whole category let's be honest about it and let's start talking about here is what is healthy and here's what is not healthy and here starving yourself so that you're you know 120 pounds when you're supposed to be you know more than that is also unhealthy i don't care how you look in a bikini or a bathing suit that's that's insane um any thoughts on that no 
you just let me ramble I'm on. I'm just going to let you So that will you go. That will um, jump us in, I think, to kind of our topic this week. Uh, and we're going to transition from from that those articles about weight into uh, insulin, which is when it comes to weight, so much of the reason we have, you know, a big obesity, an overweight, overfed, you know, obese problem in this country uh, is because of the how our lifestyles are affecting insulin levels. So we have this old concept um, that is, if you want to lose weight, Katie, you have to stop eating and exercise. Right. You have to burn more calories than your body produces or then your body takes in, takes in yeah. then you take in right so if there's a, a deficit in calories then your body has no choice but to lose weight uh it's partly true and it's mostly wrong okay so there are some truths with that but but there are it's more wrong than it is right and for those of you who've struggled with weight your whole life uh, who are listening this will know that that's true you know that you might be able to lose weight temporarily by starving yourself but if you don't make changes to the metabolism and different hormones in your body that all that weight just generally comes right back and it tends to come back with an extra cherry on top so to speak um and so we're going to dive into we're going to dive into when we talk about metabolism um and how that affects health we're going to talk about hormones uh metabolism is just the process of any energy conversion in your body it's kind of the name given to how your body breaks down the food that you eat into energy and how you store that so the energy that fuels your body the big player in this and there are a couple players in this but the big player in this and the one we're going to talk about today is insulin most of you who are listening to this uh are familiar with insulin and we kind of i remember even been taught in health class in in you know elementary school or junior high or middle school as you call it down here in the great states uh or high school is insulin is a the job of insulin the role of insulin is to basically control your blood sugar uh so the more blood sugar you have the more insulin your body needs to release and when that doesn't do its job there's problems um so that's partly true uh, we're going to get into this a little bit more insulin is a anabolic hormone uh so it's a hormone hormones are just chemicals made of proteins that your body uses to uh you know do jobs perform it i won't get into the technical side of it but hormones basically are keys that unlock uh certain genes in your body and so you change genetic expression to alter body physiology to produce a job so here's a quick analogy you're going to uh move to denver mile high city way less oxygen in denver and so your nerve system first of all shout out to the nerve system senses that you have less blood oxygen less oxygen in your blood and so you have these nerve signals that basically travel to um, your kidneys to produce a hormone called urethropoietin so your kidneys make this chemical called urethropoietin which gets released into your bloodstream and it travels to the bone marrow that hormone uh, basically unlocks or upregulates the genes in your bone marrow to produce more red blood cells so Hormones are tools that your body uses to change physiology. Sorry, this is getting really You're really nerdy. getting into the science. I love it. I love this stuff. Um, again, you do that all obviously so that you can have more oxygen carrying capacity. So it's how your body adapts to changes in its environment. So hormones are uh, chemical messengers that your body uses to alter physiology, alter your body structure so that your function changes to allow you to adapt to your environment better. Okay, boring stuff. Um, but, but, 
insulin is a hormone. Insulin is produced by the pancreas and its job is a storage hormone. Okay, so it's not just sugar that insulin responds to. It responds to pretty much anything but fat. Fat doesn't need a whole lot of help getting into fat cells, but insulin's job is to open up the different cells of your body to allow nutrients into those cells, whether it's a muscle cell and it needs protein, whether it's liquid, whether it's sugar, it helps to open up the cells to get nutrients into the cell that the cell either needs or for storage, as we'll get into with fat in just a second. Um, there are uh, two problems, I guess. So you've heard of type 1 diabetes, which is a problem where the pancreas stops producing insulin. So basically the beta cells in the pancreas, there's a genetic defect or some sort of damage to those cells that those cells stop, the pancreas cells stop making insulin. So you don't have enough insulin in your body uh, and your blood sugar can rise. Okay, and it gets out of control because it does not have the hormone there to actually get the nutrients from your blood into the cells, the cells of the body. And the, and a high blood sugar is really damaging. It's actually really bad for the, the blood vessel cells. It's really bad for nerve cells. It can cause a lot of damage as we see people with, with diabetes. What's really interesting about people with type 1 diabetes is so they don't have enough insulin storing into cells of their body. And so those people generally are underweight. Okay, because they cannot store. So another way to think about this, insulin is a storage hormone. Insulin stores the food that you eat in the cells of your body, okay, or it gets it into the cells of your body. So if you don't have enough, so the easiest way to fatten someone up with type 1 diabetes is to give them insulin shots, all right, and you will plump them right up, okay. The second type of problem is something called insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes, Okay, we've, there's other terms for this, metabolic syndrome, all these different types of things. Uh, what happens in this case is that our lifestyle, we're going to talk about two things, what you eat and when you eat, negatively affects insulin in a way that uh, your, your body has to release insulin all the time, which is not something your body likes. It's not something the cells of your body are used to. Our whole... Um, lifestyle now of overeating or having access to food all the time is such a new thing in our genetic history that it, it, your body just doesn't really have any defense against it. We're not used to it. We, we have our genes are built for starvation, not overfeeding. Um, anyway, so the cells of the body stop listening to insulin because it's kind of a noxious chemical. And so the, 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 the receptor cells on, on fat cells, on muscle cells, etc., literally downregulate. They stop producing the number of insulin receptors so they don't have to listen to this right sound for the, the insulin response. It's very similar to, so, uh, you know, we have four kids running around the house. We have two dogs, so it's quiet here right now. But when it when the kids get home from school and the dogs are around, it's noisy in this house. So what I like to do is put noise-canceling headphones on or put earplugs in, right? You know this. My wife is just smiling right now. When we drive in a car, I can hear every thing imaginable when I'm driving. Little rattles here and there. So I'm sensitized to this, that sound. Hyper. Hyper sensitized. Yes. yes. We, they get the point. These people get the point. <laughs> uh, but I will even sometimes drive with my headphones in and or earplugs in so it's quieter. So, and that's basically what type, what that's what the cells of your body are doing with type 2 diabetes or metabolic syndrome is they're, they're down-regulating the insulin receptor so they don't have to listen to insulin so much because it's damaging for the cells. It's annoying to the cells. The consequence of this, though, is that you have more blood sugar piling up in your 
the blood, blood which is damaging for your body and other nutrients as well but but the damaging part really is is the blood sugar so then your pancreas goes all right i better produce more mm-hmm. so then it dumps more insulin into your body to the point where now there's so much insulin floating around that it's just shoving stuff into your cells anyway even if you're not eating you have insulin constantly storing stuff in your body the problem here is that again insulin is a storage hormone so if you have insulin floating around in your bloodstream at very high levels you cannot pull stuff out of the cells of your body to use you're in storage mode you're not in burn mode Okay, so when you create type 2 diabetes, you can even starve yourself, but your insulin levels won't necessarily change that quickly, and your body will not be able to pull stuff out of fat cells. You will lose weight, but it tends to be water weight. It tends to be burning protein, because it's easier to burn protein than it is to pull stuff out of these fat cells, adipose cells, to be able to actually burn for fuel. And this is a problem, and so we are we have created the situation where, the, where because of our lifestyle, the human body is in storage mode all the time. Okay, This is a massive, I think the biggest contributor to our weight issue is, this, is, is how our lifestyle, how the, the types of foods that we eat. I do think generally we probably overeat in America and we probably don't move as much. But there are, so that's a factor which we can talk about, you know, as well. But the bigger factors are the types of foods that we're eating, which are highly refined foods, and the fact that we basically eat all the time. We never give our body a break from eating, which is very unlike how our genetics are designed or the history. Like, it's very normal if you're a hunter gatherer, right, to go long periods of time in between a successful hunt and or an ability to find something that's growing to eat like maybe some berries or whatever so your body has to deal with low insulin levels so that you can actually pull stuff out of those fat cells which are storage and the whole concept why you even have insulin is because your body needs to store for a future date right it's a bank and so your body did that on purpose when you eat a bunch of food you're, you don't need let's say you you know you sh- hunt a buffalo and you eat the buffalo and you're going to have a huge like a cheetah let's say you're a cheetah so we're all animals whether we're humans or not our physiology is the same so a cheetah doesn't like hunt a wildebeest and then put it in the fridge and then eat 1600 calories of that cheetah every day you know for two weeks it literally eats the entire thing all at once and humans would do the same thing. We just we have to try and eat while it's fresh because it goes bad, right? Mm-hmm. And anyway, so then the body developed this thing. We have this process where insulin stored excess calories as fat to use when we weren't eating as fuel mm-hmm. for energy, okay? And that's all that fat is. Fat is just the meals that you ate stored for future use. Okay. So the two things that we talked about are what we eat and when we eat that are causing a very strong insulin response and creating this insulin resistance, which leads to obesity and weight issues. Okay, so uh, let's talk about the what we eat first, do you think? Yeah. Um, I call this pre-digested. So the the term that we you hear a lot is refined, foods that are refined. I like to call it pre-digested because it just seems that it's got a better mental picture for me. But so much of the food that we eat has already been broken down from its natural source uh, into 
something that's already been basically digested for you. Okay, so if you think about even if, so we know that grains have a lot of carbohydrates in them, uh, which carbohydrates really strongly spike insulin, proteins still spike insulin, fat not so much, but carbohydrates are the big one. Well, grains, you don't just eat the whole grain, right? If you were to sit down and actually eat the stock of a grain, you would chew it up. It would take forever to chew up a grain. You wouldn't be able to get it very small, right? You chew it up a little bit. You grind it up with your teeth. <coughs> Pardon me. You swallow it. It goes down to your gut. Then your gut's going to spend hours and hours and hours through, you know, first hydrochlor, uh, 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 I almost said hydroxychloroquine, uh, hydrochloric acid uh, in your stomach. And then your pancreas, again, releases other chemicals, um, to begin to break down those carbohydrates. It's a long process. And so if, even if you were to eat carbohydrates in whole grain form, and I'm not talking whole grains like you get a whole grain bread, I'm talking actually grains off the stock, it would still be quite a long process from the food, the time that you ate the food till that nutrient, that substrate got into your digestive system. Very easy for your body to be able to handle those excess nutrients and store them without spiking insulin too high. Anything to add to that? No. Um, what we have done is we have things like bread. We have things like, I mean, if, if, if you didn't make it yourself, chances are, I mean, even ground beef is pre-digested in a sense. We talk about protein shakes. There's zero sugar in protein shakes, but that you, instead of eating a steak, which again, would, you'd have to go through the same process. You bite the steak, you chew the steak, you swallow the steak, your stomach turns the steak, you release it into your small intestine, further breakdown. So you go from this cow into amino acids over hours, right? When you drink a protein shake, that's done for you. Yeah, that surprised the pants off me because, I mean, we were such, I got into such a habit of going to the gym and then immediately after a workout, getting a protein shake as though that was, you know, a good healthy thing to do. And it's not like it's not healthy, it's just there what are it consequences. does to our insulin levels right. was very surprising. Right, it actually, yeah, protein shakes have been shown to be incredibly um, stimulating or, to insulin. Like they'll really stimulate a strong insulin response. Which again, it doesn't mean you can never spike insulin. The point is, is what we're doing all the time consistently is forming a pattern in the body that the body can't then adapt and recover from. Right. So um, the point is, is that it, so much of our, I think, Western diet is foods that have been prepared for us. We can go to, you know, grab a burger, you get your bread, which has been broken down into yeah. flour. You've got sugar, you've got preservatives in there. You've got all these chemicals. You got your patty that's been ground up, right? All this stuff, easy to digest. Um, so much of the foods that we eat are pre-digested. So you're, they're, they're spiking insulin incredibly strongly. So not only do you, you might be getting the exact same amount of nutrients, but you're getting it all in a very short period of time. So your body has to has to spike insulin, release a ton of insulin to store that stuff so it's not damaging to your body. Um, and then that's kind of how the, how you get the crash, really, is like as you get up in the morning, you have your oatmeal and a donut or whatever, and you get this huge sh sugar spike. You get this huge insulin response, which pulls all that insulin, all that blood sugar, rather, way out because your body released so much. And then you get the jitters and you feel hungry again because your body doesn't have as much... Yeah. Right, sugar and blood sugar. So then what do you do? Then you reach for something quick like a soda or whatever, or a cup of coffee with cream and sugar or a latte. And you just continue this cycle and this is how it happens. Um, and so one of the keys that we want to encourage people to do is to start eating more natural foods. Like 
it should be as close to how it existed in nature as possible. And again, you're not going to be perfect with this. And so I'm not that hardcore that we never have a burger or that we never have fries or that we never have a protein shake. The point is, is most of our meals are as we eat eggs, we eat lots of meat, we eat butter, butter, like it's as close to as natural as possible. So it's, it's, the insulin spikes that we're getting are decreased, right? We're not getting as big of insulin spikes. And then part two of this is we are eating constantly mm-hmm. all the time. So we get up, we have breakfast, then we have a snack, and then we have lunch, and then we have a snack. But it's a healthy snack, Dr. Jeff. I was chewing on dried cranberries. Like, it doesn't matter. Every time your body eats something outside of just pure fat, your body has to release insulin to respond to it. And so if you're, again, going back to the cheetah thing, you might have two massive insulin spikes a week, mm-hmm. right? Where your body has to store all this extra stuff because you just had two successful hunts. And then, but again, you're not a cheetah. So then we became hunter-gatherers. And then we've got the ability to store food. So we could eat, but you wouldn't, you know, it would might be, you know, we watch these shows like Alone, mm-hmm. which is on, what is it on? Uh, the History Channel. It's like a survival. So they drop these people off and they, you know, they don't have food. They have to hunt or gather their yeah. food. And, you know, they don't sit and graze all day. We're not cows. We don't have... And if you are going to graze all day, that's what you graze on is vegetables. You don't graze on fruit all day. You don't graze on carbohydrates all day, on bread all day, right? Mm-hmm. On whatever. So they're very small meals. Uh, but it doesn't even really matter if it's a big meal. But the point is, is again... Uh, you know, where humans are probably designed to have like two, maybe three insulin spikes a day. If you kept a food log of every time you ate during the day, you're probably getting six to 10 insulin spikes a day. Mm -hmm. And people go, well, but I have to eat because otherwise I get shaky and hungry. That's exactly the symptoms of a body that is insulin, you know, resistant. It's your body. When you struggle to go long periods of time without food, that's a sign that your body sucks at pulling stuff out of the cells. Trust me, we all have enough stuff floating around inside of our body, fat, that we could survive for long periods of time without eating. And isn't it still the recommendation of dietitians um, working with diabetics to snack all day to maintain your insulin levels? Because they're viewing these things as these drops in insulin as crashes and not not insulin sugar 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 so this is this is and this is i literally got into this with a patient yesterday uh this is exactly how so the point is is um so you have a patient that comes in with these insulin issues type 2 diabetes and so we recommend six small meals a day right which does what it does is it actually helps to decrease the amount of blood sugar it makes it easier for the body that has insulin resistance to deal with the food that you're eating, which it technically does work. The problem is, is that all that you're doing is locking in the insulin resistance. So you're not actually dealing with the problem. It's just like you have crappy tires on your car. So it's like, well, I'm not going to drive on icy days or I'm going to always drive really slow. Okay. You could do that or you could put some freaking winter tires on your car and then drive however you want to within reason, of course. Right. And so this is exactly it. We, they're, 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 and I do have another patient actually who is working in a hospital right now and she, they are doing, they have switched that model. They are doing, they're implementing more fasting because the evidence is so glaringly obvious at this point. It should be medical malpractice that we keep going down this road of six small meals a day. 
you know, this whole thing of like, well, that's again, but I get shaky, you know, when I don't eat that. If you start, if you never work out and you get sore after a workout, does that mean you shouldn't work out anymore? Well, I tried, I tried working out, but I got sore. <laughs> right? Like, no, that's a sign that your body's out of shape and you need to keep doing it. I suck at running. I get tired so quickly. So I could use that as she's like, well, I can't run because I'm not winded. I get winded easy. Right. Or you could keep doing it. I just hate running unless it's in a sport. But Or I can train myself to go, okay, I'm going to do a little bit more, a little bit more. And so we got the Peloton and all that other stuff, right? right. So I'm trying to work on that. Um, so this is the thing. If we want to become, if we want to better our bodies, we have to, f- where is our weaknesses? And this is what we have to start leaning into, right? So this is what we have to start challenging our body with going, okay, I've got some blood sugar issues here. Like I, I am gaining weight. <clears throat> I'm in storage mode all the time. I don't like it when I don't eat. I'd get hangry. I get moody or whatever. That's your body screaming at you that you need to lean into that to become stronger and better, right? And so we we will do a full podcast on fasting, I think. Uh, but this is the easiest thing that you can do the, the two easiest things to start to lose weight today. Stop eating. <laughs> it's like you don't even have to. I was exactly what I said to the patient. I'm like, you. this is like the best thing because you don't have to do anything. You don't have to buy anything. Yeah. You just stop doing something. Yeah, literally. I, I asked a patient how um, I, they're on our metabolic reset program. And I asked how it was going. But even like busy people are are saying that they're they're too busy to meal prep right. so it's very difficult for them to when there's nothing on their program to eat in the house well this solves that it's it's simple for everyone right and the, the easiest way to start this is um, so if you if you're the type of person who gets up you have your breakfast you have a mid-morning snack you have lunch you have a mid mid-afternoon snack you have dinner and a bedtime snack start cutting out some of the snacks. So for sure, we know that skipping breakfast isn't, most people enjoy skipping breakfast more than they enjoy skipping dinner. However, for quality sleep, which we'll get into on another podcast, we we also know that you should not be eating three hours before bed, that your your body does better in deep sleep when it has not been digesting food and you need at least three, four hours before your last meal to, to digest that food so that your body's out of that kind of physiologic response. So sleep will be better. So if you're a midnight, if you're a snacker late at night, that would be the one thing is dinner should be your last meal. Your dad, I mean, I, I've known, how long have we known each other for? Uh, so we've married for 15 years, almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. And, like, and I'm one of my first memories of your dad is his whole thing. Your dad is held. Well, his whole life, this was his diet program, but he's 82. 82, in great shape, always has been in great shape. Yeah. But his thing is like, stop eating after three or six or whatever whatever it was. The, the time at the end of the day would always change based on how fat he felt. So <laughs> it, like his rule of thumb generally was do not, you and you can eat anything you want in, in his in his philosophy, you can eat anything you want before 6 p.m. Don't eat a thing after 6 and you'll maintain your weight. If you if he felt like he was starting to gain weight, if he kind of dropped off that, that idea, then he would um, bring back, he would uh, push back hit the time and not eat. I mean, he would stop eating at noon some days if right. he was really wanting to lose lose some weight. So it was... Usually, the less you eat at the end of the day was more effective, 
And I've noticed that personally too. Skipping breakfast, that's an easy thing, but I didn't notice as much of a change what um, until I started eating less at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. And what this does, I mean, this is where people that have heard this term intermittent fasting, um, which again, we're going to get into that a little bit deeper, but what this does is it gives your body a chance uh, to lower insulin levels. So when you just don't eat, you don't have nutrients in your bloodstream. When you don't have nutrients in your bloodstream, your pancreas goes, okay, I don't need to store anything, and it can start backing off that. And you're not going to reverse diabetes, insulin-resistant issues, metabolic syndrome, weight issues in an instant. But if you're consistent with this, and I've we have seen this with multiple people, it you will or it's going to take time, but you are going to notice that and it doesn't happen because you're not eating you can literally eat the same amount of calories as you do in a day just in a shorter window yeah it's the same calories you're not skipping out on calories you're just lumping them you're just lumping them together but in it so this has nothing to do with like oh dr jeff you're just eating less you're burning less calories no that's not how it works you can eat the same calories as you eat in a normal day and don't spread it out over 12 hours do it in eight hours or whatever and you're, it gives your insulin a chance to calm down and to reset that insulin resistance. And over time and repetition, just like it was a habit to build insulin resistance, you can reverse insulin resistance. Your body is smart. It's not stupid. It is keeping you alive and it's adapting to the re- environment. And when our environment is overfeeding constantly, not even the amount of food, but constant eating and crap food, mm-hmm. it adapts. And it adapts by releasing insulin more because it has to. And so mm-hmm. let your body unadapt right adapt to back to what it was genetically designed to do and it might suck at first but your energy you will start i promise you will start noticing energy changes you will start noticing sleep better at night like it just your body does better in those states this is something that should be done i think you know with some expertise and advice and so if you're listening to this and if you know us and you want to reach out we can guide you through this if you don't know who we are or you don't live close i mean you can always you know ask us questions you can email us uh or whatever you need to do but you know having someone guide you through this is is smart as well um there's some a really good book that i would suggest that that uh, so there's an author his name's jason fung f-u-n-g he's uh another great canadian uh he's an endocrinologist or something like that uh, he's a medical doctor in BC, Canada, I believe. Uh, but he's on the forefront of this. His whole clinic now is kind of, he was just noticing a lot of, maybe he was a nephrologist, something with kidneys. I can't remember what his background is, but he started noticing these people, this, this pattern of yeah, nephrologist, nephrologist. Yep. Um, you know, with insulin issues, insulin resistance, and they, the, you know, the consequence was weight. Weight did not cause them the problem. Weight was the byproduct of a metabolic imbalance due to their lifestyle choices. Uh, but he's got a book called The Ultimate Guide to Fasting, and another one which is really good. There's one called The Diabetes Code and one called The Obesity Code. They're very similar. They deal with a lot of the same concepts, maybe just worded a little bit differently. But you want to dig into this topic a little bit more. He's been a huge resource for me among some uh, you know, other people, of course, but I would encourage you to dig in that. I will put a link to those, maybe his website or you know, at least a book or two in those show page or in the, the notes that you can uh, click on and link to there. Um, so that would be good. So our, our takeaways here, people sometimes ask, well, how do I know whether I have insulin resistance or not? Mm-hmm. I've got two answers to that. Number one, you probably do. 
Just assume you do. Open your passport. <laughs> if it's anywhere in North America, you probably do. Okay, so we probably all have some sort of insulin resistance. Uh, so that's your number one test. There's literally no downside to assuming that you do, right? I mean, if you are, even if you're like, well, I'm underweight, it's the fasting isn't the problem. It's the you just need to make sure you're getting the right nutrients in your normal eating window, yeah. right? The eight hour window. Uh, anyway, um, and then two, there's there's some you know there's things obviously blood tests can help to figure out. There's no real, as far as I know, great way to measure insulin levels in the blood, but we can measure the effects of our metabolic state by looking at a couple different types of blood sugar. So we can do blood sugar tests where you just get an instantaneous reading of what your blood glucose is, mm -hmm. right? Um, the one we talked about, they did for pregnant women, is... The glucose test. Where glucose you drink, challenge test, right? Yeah. yeah, you drink 50 grams of uh, syrupy sugar and then wait an hour and then measure your blood sugar levels. So it's you, you challenge your body with a kind of a gross amount of sugar and you see what your body does, how it handles it. If it doesn't handle it very well, you've probably got some form of insulin resistance. If it handles it fine, you're in better shape. Yep. And then another good one, which I did this for a while, which I really enjoyed, was wear a continuous glucose monitor, which uh, used to just be used for people with diabetes to monitor their blood sugar so they could tell you when to eat. Kind of crazy. We talked about that. What's more valuable is just to see what, how, you know, what you are eating, how it's affecting your food. So it's this little thing you wear in the back of your arm. It's this needle that goes in. That did kind of suck, to be honest. Uh, I could feel that needle in my tricep. I don't know if I put it in the right place, but every time I worked out, I could feel that needle digging in up there. Uh, so hold on here, we got an audio playing. Um, but what's really cool about it is that it hooks up to your phone. And so you can, you like literally hold your phone to your elbow and it the graph syncs to your phone and you can kind of see what your blood sugar levels have done throughout the day, which is really interesting. Um, so you can see what your blood sugar levels are and you can see how it reacts to food. So you could technically do, if you had a continuous glucose monitor, you could do your own glucose challenge mm -hmm. and see what your body did. Interestingly, the only things that I saw spike, meals did not spike my blood sugar. So now again, you and I have been fasting for a long time. We've been, this is a part of our life that we do. We, we're not perfect, but we try and be conscious of, of you know, insulin uh, spiking types of foods and try and eat normally, generally speaking. The um, the two things that spiked insulin for me were exercise. So when I did a workout, I would get a spike in blood sugar, which makes sense. Your body is, which I think is a sign of actually a healthy insulin response because I had enough, I my insulin was low enough that I could pull stuff out of my, I could convert fat to sugar if I needed it, and most of that sugar probably came from my liver. We won't get into all the details of how that works, but your liver is this intermediary between actual blood sugar from the meal that you last ate to then using your fat cells. You've got about 12 hours of something called glycogen in your liver that is a quick access sugar. But So my liver was most likely releasing a bunch of uh, blood sugar to you know, fuel, the fuel the muscles. Thank you. Um, so that's, that was there. And then alcohol. So if I had a gin and tonic, if I had a beer or two, that would spike blood sugar as well. Um, so alcohol, not good for your metabolism for sure. Tried and tested. Dang it. Tried and tested. <laughs> um, so I, the problem with continuous glucose monitors, as far as I know, is they're, they're not something that they're, you can just go to target and pick up. Uh, um, at least yet. I think they were moving into that direction, but it is something that 
I think you have to, uh, at least at this point, have prescribed by a doctor or something like that. So anyway, but that is a that is a cool thing, and maybe that is changing, and we're getting more third parties that are able to, you know, just sell these things because it it should be a wellness tool that we do once in a while, just to monitor ourselves and and see what's going on. Any other tips or tricks on your end for that kind of basic overview of you know how the types of foods what we eat and when we eat affect insulin anything that works no i'm excited to get into the fasting a little bit in a future podcast and i know um just kind of off topic we eventually want to do like a q a so don't hesitate to uh, submit questions that you would want us to try to answer for you or thoughts and comments if you think we're way off base uh you can go ahead and send those in and i'll immediately delete it uh, but at least you'll feel good about yourself that you were able to get that off your chest. So I'm kidding. Probably not though. Also, if uh, people are interested, so we do through our office have a metabolic reset program. It's a six weeks, six weeks metabolic reset program. It basically is built off these concepts of fasting. It's built off the concepts of clean foods. Oh, that reminds me of the other thing I was going to bring up. Uh, I'll get back to that after. Um, it's called Chirothin. I will link that down in the in the space below. It's been incredibly successful. Um, uh, we're having people really. The weight loss is one thing, but like transform their metabolic in six weeks. Like it's really cool to see. You don't have. I mean, everything we teach will get you there. This just time compresses it from taking nine to twelve months to three to six or to six weeks, mm-hmm. uh, which is really encouraging for people. I think to be able to see the changes that quick. So I will link that down below as well. Um, and the the you mentioned something earlier in the podcast about like the hardest part is meal prep, and that is. Do you want to talk about? We use emails. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? It's just an easy way to. You know, people go like, okay, it makes sense, but I just don't know what to cook. I mean, I want to start making yeah. changes. Where do I get recipes from? We use emails, correct? Yes, we do. And pretty successfully. So talk about that. Yeah. So um, number one, it, if you're on the Chirothin program, it does come with a recipe book. And those recipes are simple and they're good. The preparation is is very necessary in, in, whatever, in whatever recipe you end up doing, obviously. Um, so that is first and foremost um, important is to prepare and plan for your week. Now we do, we have been doing emails for gosh, darn near ten years, and I love it because it's I can choose amongst the seven recipes that that it provides every uh, every week, plus the shopping list, and now it's connected to Instacart. And if you are in an area um, that grocery stores and other stores um, are involved with Instacart, you can can you can order your groceries through that. So I just think that that emails has been so slick for keeping us consistent in in um, having supper every night and for me preparing supper every night. And emails again is a website that you go emails.com is where you would go and then you pick a meal plan. We do the paleo one. Yep. Um, paleo and, family. Yep. Paleo family. So it's got, uh, you know, paleo based meat, vegetables, fairly unrefined foods basically. And again, you can, I think you get seven meals a week and 
they give you the right it's the you do have to pay for it i think i think it's like 60 dollars every six months yeah, or something well like that it. so yeah it's it just it's takes the, the stress work out of going oh what are we going to have it's always the same it just thing. makes everything mindless yeah and and really effortless it's which is kind of nice it's what what i needed that was that's for sure um, so check that out uh, too. We'll link that down as well. If you think that would help you, that would be that would be a good thing. Um, let us know if there's anything else you want uh, us to cover. Again, again, the question and answer. We want to do a podcast where we maybe just answer people's questions about different things. So make sure that you send that to us uh, via email or whatever. And and then the last thing we have talked a lot about kind of the vaccine and COVID and stuff lately. And my wife has diligently. Uh, been studying this and following this and digging deeper than anyone that I know over the I last... I will bring COVID into every conversation. <laughs> Two years. <laughs> if it, you talk to me. It's actually annoying it's, at this it's point. It's getting annoying for me as well. Um, but. <laughs> but she has a blog that she's been writing over the, the last... How long? A year? Yeah. Yes. But I haven't done a blog post in a while. I'm working on, on one, but the posts I've I've published on my blog is all about COVID. It'll eventually um, branch out beyond that, but um, it's very, very in-depth, factual, um, links to all the studies and all the data that I've gathered to create these blog posts. Um, it's, it's all in there. So if you're interested in the mechanism of the shot, um, how it works in the body, all of that and the potential problems that could co come from it. Um, if you want more information about that, it's on the blog, which is restorationhealthandhome.wordpress.com. Um, and your Instagram as well. Yep. So chirokatie.com. Yep. Which I have yep. So we'll we'll do that as well because there's lots of good posts on on Instagram as well. Okay, that wraps up another week hard to kill. every week's hard getting longer cast. but a month into this we're going to be at two hour podcasts watch yeah. out Rogan. well it, you know we'll condense you know what i can't stuff. wait for i can't wait for some has-been musician to threaten to take their music off spotify <laughs> because of our podcast <laughs> who do i want i want the foo fighters off of spotify. and weezer those are the two most overrated bands i believe <laughs> currently uh, Foo Fighters and Weezer. You're welcome to threaten. Uh, although I'm sure Spotify would kick us off in a heartbeat versus the Foo Fighters. Mm. But I don't think the world would be in any worse spot without the Foo Fighters around. So there's a strong statement. We probably yeah, lost a couple of subscribers yeah, right there. Yeah. Listen, we all have our own music tastes. Feel Here's free it. to comment on that. All right. Have a good week, everyone. We'll talk soon. Bye.